welcome to episode six of Carpe Noctum, the podcast that almost doesn't happen every week. Uh, yeah. Because life is insane. So Life gets difficult sometimes, but we enjoy this and like doing it. We want to keep coming back to you. So here we are. Episode six. Episode six. We're over that hump. We're over number five. You were past 90% of podcasts that don't make it this far. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's, I made that stat up. I believe you. Probably true, though. Smooth sailing from here on out. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, we got one heck of an episode. Excuse my French. Heckin'. Heckin'. <laughs> one heckin' of an episode. We got one heck of an episode. Um, it's it's going to be a bit of a heavier one, but you know we're going to fill it in with some, some laughs, gaffs, and giggles. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking of weight... that's a great segue yeah uh so my first topic i guess we're gonna talk about today Mm -hmm. comes from where most of my stories do wait 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 what are you drinking oh that's right you gotta do that first i'm so sorry i am drinking a blood orange cider from austin's east ciders the located in austin texas One of the, yeah. I I think they're the best cider. It's good. Manufacturers. Yeah, I every, really like it. The blood orange is fantastic. They just I think last year released that one. But every single one of them is good. Of course, the traditional one, and then they they do have several other flavors. They're all good. They're all worth trying. Great gluten fruit. free too. That is gluten free. Most ciders are gluten free. So for you alcohol alcoholics out there that are uh, also uh, gluten free and celiac weirdos. This cider is just for you. It is A-OK. Oh, yeah. I am drinking a Bitter Sisters Brewing Company. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah? That's why I meant to keep the can <laughs> You threw oh, so you don't know what it is. You threw the can away. You, so before the podcast even started, he got a second can of... The, the was it a beer? It is a beer. It's, it's a beer. beer it's a blonde lager. I can and tell he you was that. Like, I, I need I need a second can, not just because I want a second one, yes. because I need a second can to remember what I'm drinking. Yes. Proceeded to then throw the can away and completely forgot about it. I mean, this. So this is the first time I've ever bought this. Normally, normally, me buying a beer, part of that shopping process includes what I know about the brewery, what I know about the, the state where the brewery's at, and whether or not it has a reputation for good beers. And then I I go from there. Uh, the issue, though, with this, I just saw this, is actually the week we finally, I talked about it last week, last episode, the week we finally got beer, full-strength beer in grocery stores. I was just at Whole Foods and I just wanted to buy a cold beer. I, and at that point, it was more about that than it was about any specific beer. So I bought this. So I'm not really sure. I don't remember exactly what it is. It's good, though. I know that much. But uh, it's a blonde lager and Bitter Sisters, I believe, is the brewing, the brewery. I, I might be wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Anyways... So they're both delicious drinks. Mm-hmm. I'm very much enjoying my blood orange. So, back to topic. Speaking of weight, my <laughs> topic today oh, uh, comes from a comment online, which I wrote, which I thought was kind of an, an interesting topic. So, a big, I think it's getting bigger and bigger and more common, which is kind of acceptable, everyone's starting to do, is online dating, online dating profiles, Tinder, um, mm-hmm. Bumble, eHarmony, 
farmers only, you know, the, the big four. <laughs> yes, farmers only is definitely one of the big four. One of the big four. Yeah. Uh, and then these, you always put like a profile of, hey, I'm, you know, I'm this kind of guy, and like this is the kind of person I'm looking for. Yeah. Well, the comment was a consideration of some of the, the double standards that come in the online dating world. So I'll just read the comment in full. Uh, if it is socially acceptable for women to put sorry, nor short, no short men as a requirement in online dating profiles, then it should also be acceptable for men to say, sorry, no flat-chested women or no overweight women in theirs. I understand that women may only want a guy of a certain height for whatever reason they may have. That's fine. You are attracted to who you are attracted to, and there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe she just wants to warn a guy before wasting their time with a meeting, meeting up somewhere or stop them from getting their hopes up. I get that too. However, if a man were to say, sorry, no, insert the blank, women, they would get accused of body shaming and everyone would lose their shite. It's a double standard and it's absolute BS. Whereas someone would say of the woman, oh, she's just very selective and knows what she wants. They would say of the man, what a pig, how dare he? No one would ever say he's just very selective and wants to find the perfect soulmate. Yeah. So that's definitely a double standard. As, uh, I've used Tinder a few times. And they will come up where every once in a while you'll see a girl's profile. I'm like, no one under six foot, and you, know, you can swipe yeah. left, get out of here. And I'm like, Absolutely. oh, that's kind of harsh. Yeah, I see okay. that. I see that all the time. But if, yeah, if a man would say, hey, uh, you know, I want a woman who's athletic, like, oh, how dare you, you know, with an athletic build. Yeah. Like, oh, how dare you, fat shame. You just need to give him a chance, blah, 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 blah. Which I think that's, it's, it's a valid point. If a guy was like, hey, I know what I like. I'm a very athletic person. I do athletic things. I would like someone who is also athletic, has athletic body types in shape. But I don't want anyone, you know, overweight or anything like that because I want someone to continue with the lifestyle that I live. Yeah. Anyone would say of him, oh, what an awful, awful guy. So. Yeah, I, I've seen that a number of times on, on Tinder and Bumble where it is, uh, they'll say, you know, if you're under six feet, swipe left. They'll even comment on a certain uh, body uh, extension of, of a male and be like, if you're under this, swipe left. Like, you know, and and if you have that type, I agree, that's fine. That You can have your type and that's fine. I think that goes for, for men too. I don't think it's necessarily body shaming either way. Or if you're going to call it body shaming, call it body shaming both ways. You know, I but I wouldn't even say it is body shaming. I think we all have certain things we find attractive certain things that we we do not and i was listening to a podcast a few weeks back called uh, rationally speaking and they and they were talking about that they were talking about what a, what physical characteristics what secondary uh sexual characteristics would attract a man or attract a woman and whether or not that is considered sexist for for a man to be attracted to a woman with wider hips, larger breasts, is that is that sexist? And the evolutionary psychologist that was on there, while while there was, I mean, it was more nuanced than that, but essentially the bulk of the conversation was, no, that's not sexist, especially since a lot of that is going to be dependent on the person's more specific taste. You know, so for some... Older men might be more attractive to younger women because the younger women are, you know, seen as more fertile, more likely to be able to bear children. So there's a, you know, that that gentleman might be attracted to that younger woman just for those reasons. However, that there are some, whether they're older or younger, 
might be attracted to older women, otherwise known as MILFs. And, uh, and that is because these older women have already shown that they can... Your cats. He does that all the time. I don't know why. The older woman has already shown that she can bear children. And she uh, can, can bring life and, and carry on a, a man's DNA into a next, the next generation. So that might be part of, of the equation for what attracts him to her. And, and that goes the other way, you know. Women being attracted to men with certain body types or certain builds, whether it's seen as the more uh, better protector or maybe some women prefer to be the more dominant one so they might look for someone with less dominant characteristics and and I don't think that's sexist one way or the other because the thing is is that that's going to change both for that person and both for that that culture and that society what standards that are there and I don't it's it's a result of a number of a combination of things I don't think it's it's an act of hatred or shaming either way and you know I've seen this conversation in a few forums online too and I think it's absurd I think it's absolutely absurd but it exists the double standard definitely oh, exists it definitely exists and I think one of the, the a funny point of it is over like being overweight or being slightly larger I know like sometimes it's hard it's some, it is harder for some people to maintain the weight but it's also something you can eat you can change over time a guy's height Something, it's just something you're born with. You can't really yeah. change it unless you go no, drastic, yeah, extreme, drastic the surgery. surgery. Just lengthen your legs. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and even then, yeah. you get like I think it's like maybe an inch, inch and a half, and a lot of health it's, risks. Yeah, it's not it's not worth it at all. Whereas you know, I understand you know, uh, uh, flat chest or big chest. Like it's it also takes some surgery. Like it's not something it's something you're also born with. Yeah. But the most common one I've seen, uh, especially for women, is you know, hey, no, uh, no one under this yep. this fine. No and guys, I know some have preferences, you know, bigger chest women or small chest women. Some guys are you know, don't care too much. No. Uh, the overweight one I think is the biggest one for guys. Because no. like me, you know, Dylan, Dylan knows I go rock climbing, I go mountain biking, hiking. I live a, a pretty somewhat active lifestyle. And I would like someone that I could see that could keep up with me or like, you know, go on these adventures or excursions, rock climbing, mountain biking with me. And I not have to worry, you know, about them dropping over because they haven't exerted themselves like this, you know, in 13 years. Sure. So I, th- I don't think that's a absurd want or desire to look for no. in someone. I wouldn't think so either. I don't think I'm coming from a place of, of bigotry or yeah. a place uh, you know, I just I see I see this double standard and I can't help but call it what it is it's a double standard really and is. I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong either way you have your body type you have your characteristics or traits of, of uh, a potential partner that you like and dislike and you usually follow through accordingly you know there's nothing wrong with that in my opinion. All right. Well, this next topic, we kind of decided to, to wait to do it second on purpose. Um, we're starting off with a little bit more lighthearted topic. We're going to finish with one. And in the middle is going to be a few heavy topics. So, Yay. yeah, these next few things were my idea to talk about. I don't even think Dylan knows what I'm talking about. I know what one of them is. Yeah. Uh, so, 
and unless you have been completely ignoring the news um, and social media for the last day and a half, um, yesterday there was a horrible shooting in my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A gunman whose name will not be mentioned here because he's not worth the time and the breath to say that name. Um, he decided to walk into a synagogue during worship, during a Shabbat, and during a pre-service, no less, and um, shoot a bunch of people, resulting in the death thus far of 11 people. Um, and I believe last I saw it was six people shot, including four Pittsburgh police officers who responded to the scene. And it's one of those things, I mean... I, I didn't know anyone there. I know some people who live in that area, but I didn't know anybody who attended that synagogue. Um, so it's not like I'm like personally distraught and affected by this. But given that it was my home city, it, it did make me think about it a little bit longer. You know, I considered it, not that I don't think about every single time a shooting is in the news, but this one was a little different because... I could have known somebody there. It was more likely than a school in Florida or a nightclub in Florida, a school in Connecticut. Uh, yeah, or a concert in Vegas. Yeah, I uh, likelihood of me knowing people there, not as much. But um, sometimes that's what it takes, unfortunately, to kind of put it a little bit more in perspective. And my perspective of this was just how sick and horrible it truly is. And I think what was almost as sickening as the shooting itself was the reaction of some, I would say the minority, but of some people who immediately started to draw hard lines regarding certain political figures, regarding certain ideologies. And that's going to happen pretty much after every major event. Any election, any event, any tragedy, someone's looking to blame somebody else. And, you know, there were... A number of people on both sides saying, oh, this is the fault of Trump and the Republicans because of the the rhetoric that they use that pushes a culture of hate. And then pretty much in those same words, people on the right saying that of Democrats saying, you know, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, the, the ad we showed last week, Republicans are currently, the GOP is currently running. Um, there were a number of of examples and instances in that ad that depict a number of prominent Democrats encouraging violence and confrontation. And and I I think there are some thought more thoughtful criticisms than others that have currently been espoused, but right now I think most people are just wrong and need to stop. It's almost like their relevance is at least partially hinged on events like this happening and then them giving opinions about it. And it's sad because whether I agree with them or not, I think it's irrelevant. It's not about Trump. It's not about Republicans and Democrats. Could certain things change that might affect, that might have systemic long-term effects throughout our culture? Maybe, perhaps. And I think that conversation should potentially happen. Not a few minutes after the body drops. Not on social media where literally nothing good happens. 
Nothing good happens on social media. It's not the place to, to debate this type of stuff. Absolutely not. And, I mean, there were there were some prominent journalists blaming Jewish Americans, those that supported the embassy move in Israel to Jerusalem, that, like, oh, well, you got, you got what you wanted. You, you hope it was worth it. Julia Ihoff, uh, she's... She writes for GQ. I don't know who else she might write for, but like that was something she tweeted. She's a Jewish American, very liberal, obviously opposed the embassy move, and you know that she can go ahead and oppose it. I don't really have an opinion on it, but she herself opposed it, and that was one of the things that she tweeted yesterday. And and then of course there are people like Ben Shapiro who are saying, oh, and I would I would never call. Ben Shapiro, a Trump apologist, he's he's very vocal about his criticisms about Trump. But you know, he being that he's more conservative, he was I felt a little bit more leaning towards the oh look at all the stuff the Democrats have said that have that has created this culture of violence. And I don't, he's not entirely wrong. I don't, he's not. But it's not just Democrats, and you don't say to people blaming Republicans. Oh, but what about the Democrats? That kind of whataboutism just kind of furthers the divide. And I get what he was trying to do, maybe point out the hypocrisy. Again, you're not doing anything effective on social media by pointing out the hypocrisy because all it makes you look like is an apologist, you know. And it's, it's incredibly difficult to think about this divide because on social media and in certain news segments, it's all you see. That's all you hear about. That's one of the reasons. I don't know. Because I saw headlines. I saw uh, a bunch of stuff going on about this. And I just kind of avoided all the the articles, everything about it. Simply for the fact that I knew that the majority of it was going to be focused on who the shooter was. You know, his family. They were going to tear his life to pieces. Yep. And then sell it to the world. And everyone was going to throw out their own motive for why he was going to do it. But no one could... Is he is still is he dead or alive? He's still alive. He was okay. taken into custody. He's injured. But so I, I think he'll survive. Yeah. It's, I, it's impossible to truly nail down someone's motive when you're thousands of miles away in your cushy little office for the New York Times writing it up. Exactly. It's, well, and... It's... If any time... So... Because it's happened again and again and again and again and again where... They'll say, oh, shooting, and then just rip whoever the shooter was, their entire life, their entire life story, their family, everyone, like their home address, and just throw it out there for to, to you know, prostitute to the world, basically, so they can make a bug. And it doesn't do anything to help. It just makes situations worse. Right. It glorifies the shooter, if anything, because his yeah. name's every single effing TV in the entire world, as well, yeah. in the United States, can see him. Uh, and it just maybe makes, the world, too. Maybe the maybe world, people honestly. People all over the world. Anyone can look this. at it. And it's just, there's no reason I see to like, to read the articles no. coming out about it anymore. Because yeah. it's just, I mean, it's just shit flanking. Those, those like initial reports to get the details of, like, I like following because I want to know what's happening. But then like, once the opinion articles start coming out, once the editorials and the columnists start speaking up, that, that's kind of, that I try and tune all that out. Because that, that is nothing. That is not factual at that point. That exists to editorialize and to contextualize and usually to manipulate certain aspects to fit a point they're trying to make. You know, you go on to the New York Times, uh, head their website right now. I'm actually going to do it. Uh, so 
The main headline right there. For Pittsburgh shooting suspect, anti-Semitism appeared to run deep. I guess. And that was part of what they discussed. They, they, they looked at his Gab page, saw a bunch of anti-Semitic nonsense on there. So you see that, and you can talk about that, and you see, oh, he was clearly anti-Semitic. What happens, like, that, that is well documented. You can say that. That's pretty factual. But then when you start to say, well, he was anti-Semitic because Trump's an anti-Semite. Yeah, or that's... because certain political figures are anti-Semitic. Or, or every single, every single uh, opinion article right here. Pittsburgh suspect was the unremarkable man from apartment one. What does that mean? What does that yeah, even mean? Who knows why he was... He might have been anti-Semitic because, oh, for all we know, when he was a kid, he had a run-in with a Jewish family that was, you know, terrible. And he yeah. just ended up not liking Jews, and then they just kind of grew along with him. Who knows why he was He like fell Jews. into the wrong group of people and it was manipulated by their thoughts. But you don't know, and you can investigate that. But that right there is not... That's not a story of fact. Even the title alone was The Unremarkable Man from Apartment 1. That's a story. That is... That's a story. And then, of course, that the sounds, other one... That on, sounds like a, a title chapter of a mystery book. Yeah, exactly. Another, another headline. News report. On Gab, the social media site he used, which, oddly enough, was created to like be like the anti-Twitter. It was like created to be the place where free speech reigns, because on Twitter they keep censoring people. But really, it didn't take off. The only people who are on there are like alt-right trolls and anti-Semites. <laughs> Largely, those are the only people that are on there. Mm. Twitter itself is just a cesspool. Well, yeah, Twitter. It's, not, Twitter itself is pretty horrible too. But it says on Gab, an extremist-friendly site, suspect aired his hatred. That okay? What am I supposed to? What am I supposed to get out of that? Trump's potent toxicity. Why are we talking? We're talking right here. Trump has flirted with the deep racists and Nazis and has gone unnoticed, least of all by them. What are you talking about? That's not. It has not gone unnoticed. Everyone talks about it. Everyone at the New York Times talks about it. It's on the news every single day. Every it's single not, it's not it's all, a secret. It's all they talk about. Ever. It's all anyone talks about. Yeah. Anti-Semitism comes to a city of violence. I've really known all of this stuff. Though. Well, um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think, he, I don't, I don't think that's been displayed. His daughter's Jewish. A number of his advisors are Jewish. Yeah. I even, there's an argument to be made that he's made some, he's, if anything, he moved the Jewish the, the embassy. Yeah, that like, that's, that's something a lot of pro-Trump Jews are saying. Like, like I don't think that's he's been great. At all. Yeah, it's the complete opposite. There's a lot of there's a lot of horrible things you can point out about Trump. There's a lot of horrible things he does and says and has done. But I don't think we can fairly call him anti-Semitic. That's the one thing where I go. Yeah, that's I not. I don't think that's. I don't, I don't I think, think that's completely. But either way, all of this, all of it, like it's all editorializing, and, and it's all trying to build a point or support an opinion. And I'm at that point where, like this, this is all part of the problem because people are reading this, forming their own opinions on this, reading things they already agree with. At the end of the day, the most important thing we can do is talk to someone ourselves, especially someone that we know we disagree with. And build bridges there. Start, start, start with the people at work. Start with your closest friends. Start with the people you pass every day, and you start with the the other regulars at, at a Starbucks or at the local cafe you attend. Like the those relationships are really what what change things. And and this kind of transitions to like my second point: the rise of 
hate and political extremism. These kinds of columns and the opinion makers on social media and on the news, they do not help anything. They They only sell. They sell. They sell opinions that the only people who listen to them are usually people who already have those opinions. It doesn't do anything to build bridges or to fight political extremism. And, And what's horrible is that some people, like, get off on this idea that they're somehow some kind of advocate and, and justice warrior because they just shame, for example, Trump supporters on the street. We can condemn the behavior of Trump. We can condemn the behavior of white supremacists, white supremacists in Charlottesville. And we should. I think we should. But condemning that person is different because that, that doesn't change anything that doesn't that doesn't actually start to change that person's life if anything it pushes them further into what they already think and believe it's uh, there there was a video i i don't it might have been charlottesville might even be older than that might be back in the days of ferguson but there was a uh a black individual confronting a white supremacist uh, on the streets and was just saying why do you hate me why do you hate me? It wasn't like, oh, F you, you skinhead. Like, I hate you and you hate me. We hate each other. No, it was, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? He kept asking him. And the guy just, he just said, I don't know. I don't know. And they ended up hugging. Like that kind of confrontation where it's not about trying to prove a point. It's not about making a show for camera that you can post on social media and say, oh, I owned this white supremacist. It's about actually changing lives. And I think one of the most influential examples of this, there was a a woman, a black woman on C-SPAN a number of years ago. I I don't remember, uh, I don't remember her job. She's been on Bill Maher before. I mean, she's, she's an activist involved, I think, in a pretty prominent nonprofit, more liberal leaning. Um, But she was taking some questions on C-SPAN. And one of the callers was he wasn't like he wasn't associated with like a white supremacist group, but he said like I don't really like black people. What can I do to change that? And they had a very it was almost like a heart to heart on live on C-SPAN, and then they ended up corresponding off air. They met several times, and now they're close friends. And he's become an advocate for equality. Like that changes people's lives. That build the bridges. You don't get that from screaming on Twitter about how horrible Trump voters are, about how horrible white supremacists are, and likewise conservatives. You don't you don't change hearts by screaming about how everyone who's ever had an abortion is a horrible person or attacking people who have different views on on universal health care or and pretty much any view people get into fights about. And it's part of why it's hard to have friends you disagree with now because people just, their views suddenly are who they are. Yeah. It's not just, oh, I believe this. Like, I am this. I am a conservative. I am a liberal. And it builds that tribal mentality where people suddenly stop thinking for themselves. They just become a part of that tribe. And then if you're not in that tribe, you don't like that person or you don't want to associate with that person. And that, it doesn't help. It makes things worse. And we see that in this shooting. This guy, he wasn't a Trump supporter. He thought Trump was too friendly to Jews. I wouldn't say he was liberal. He was an anti-Semite. And 
He decided to commit a horrendous act of evil. That should be condemned, absolutely. And depending on your thoughts, you know, your thoughts, the listeners' thoughts on the death penalty and on human nature, even that, that kind of gets into another conversation about whether or not this man should be given the chance or yada yada. Well, we won't talk about that because that can get that's a, <laughs> that's a whole another issue. Yeah, but we might have different opinions on that. One. We might, but I just I just think uh, if we if we really want, I know it's a cliche, but if we really want to change things, if we want really want to build the bridges, we really have to work on loving each other, and, and that's not love people until I find out who they voted for. Or loving, love people. It's loving people that might hate you and yeah. want to see you dead. Loving them anyway. Forming relationships with them anyway, because that's that's how you change them. Yeah, it's not going to come from yelling at them in the streets. It's going to come from changing people's hearts, and that is, I feel like, something that has not been alive in American culture since the days of Martin Luther King and his passive resistance, looking someone in the eyes who wants to kill you and telling them that you love them. That's not something we see nowadays. Well, at, at the uh, conclusion of this topic, it kind of transitions into my next topic, which is about um, depression. And, you know, just so this podcast doesn't run too long, I'm probably not going to go into it as much as I thought I would. But um, So we say that. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see how long this podcast goes. We, we won't have an episode next week, so maybe we will do a little bit longer maybe. of an episode than I. Um, we'll just see where it goes. Either way... Regarding the news, the social media, all these editorials that build our perceptions of the world, a lot of the time, the perception's not great. And that, statistically speaking, not even just my opinion, but, you know, according to research, is part of a significant rise in depression. Both news and social media separately. And they're so... They've combined almost. <laughs> in 2018, it's like, it's like a double whammy. Um, but you know, depression and, and mental illnesses have been on the rise on the rise uh, for a while in the United States. Uh, oddly enough, it started really to start going up. I think it was two thousand six, two thousand eight. Oddly enough, when Facebook opened up to everyone and not just people with college email addresses. I wonder uh, what the correlation could be. Uh, correlation is not causation. Correlation, but that's that's interesting. Very interesting statistic. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, given that that has been the case, that those rates have been going up, um, it's, it's an important conversation. It's a conversation that I know touches both of us personally, and I don't know if, how much you'd want to share. I know I personally, uh, d- depression is something I still, uh, struggle with. It's better certainly now than it has been in a long time, and that's, uh, due to a number of events that have happened in the past year, year and a half, that took me to a horribly low point and pretty much have been, for the most part, on the up and up since. Um, and I know that that includes talking about it, finally being open about it, being in a group of, being in a community where I could talk about it, and then also finally seeking treatment through a therapist and a psychiatrist. You know, that... Uh, it's become a topic where when I see people or hear about people who struggle with mental illness, it becomes 
something I empathize with very strongly because I know what it's like. It's not something I have to imagine. It's something I know. So when someone else, whether I know them personally or see see on the on Twitter or something, someone struggling or someone recently committed suicide, you know, it, it hits me pretty hard now. And uh, uh, there was a number of podcasts that I've listened to actually about it in the la- in the last several months. Uh, some TED Talks, the TED Radio Hour, um, Radio Lab, and number a lot of them actually are NPR <laughs> but there's one I there's an excerpt I wanted to go into uh, from here and now uh, from WBUR Boston uh, uh, Boston's local NPR station and so uh, we're gonna listen to that and Dylan and I'll talk about it here in a minute those Frank honest conversations about how someone is feeling is not what happens. Oftentimes we hear someone is depressed or, or, or feeling sad or suicidal and we say, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. That's not helpful because people are feeling that way. And it's our job to be with the people we love in their feeling state and try and understand it with them. I think the other part to really emphasize is there's everything from the National Suicide Hotline, 800-273-TALK. There are suicide text lines. And in every, every state in America, there are a bevy of wonderful mental health clinicians, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, clergy, who are ready, willing, and able, and trained to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And so we want to talk about it. So that right there, um, he touched on two issues that I want to highlight. That that first one is very important, very important to me because it's something I learned early years of college, and it's affected not just the way I process things, but also the way I empathize with other people. And that is, when someone is feeling something, it's not helpful to say, "Well, you shouldn't be feeling that." Or, or they try and talk about why you're feeling it, and they start to they ask so many specific questions that suddenly they're taking you out of the feeling and letting you just feel it, and they start to add in a bunch of this other stuff that oftentimes makes it more complicated. Sometimes people just feel this way. And our most important role as a friend, as a loved one, family member, whatever, is to just be there and support them and sometimes the best way to support them is just to be there not to talk to them and try and rationalize it because that that stage comes but right now this is what they're feeling and being with them i think is the most important thing it's not about who you shouldn't be feeling that way i mean who are you to say yeah, what someone the, else should feel one of the best analogies i've heard i don't remember where i heard it from but it was uh i wish i could i could credit this quote but they said Telling a depressed person to stop being depressed is like telling, or stop being depressed because they have good things in their life and their life is going as good. It's like telling an asthmatic person, what's wrong with you? Why can't you breathe? There's air everywhere. Just breathe. Right. It's like, well, there, there's something fundamentally wrong. Yeah. Like it's, it's, the, it's not the fact that there's not things in their life to be happy with. Yeah. It's the, it's the fact that their brain, through whatever reason, can't intake happiness or joy in the way that it should be able to from the events. So it's... It's far more complicated than just say, hey, you know, stop feeling that way. You shouldn't feel that way because X, Y, and Z. I mean, I was uh, severely depressed in college, and I, I, one, of the, one of the problems I had with it was, like, I couldn't find a reason as to why I was depressed. Right. I could point out, like, my grades are fine. I have friends. I could, I could lay out, you know, 
A to Z of the reasons I shouldn't be depressed or shouldn't be sad. But that didn't help. I still was. Yeah. And I just dealt with it, which was a terrible thing to try to do because it just made it worse in some cases. But at the same time, I was like, well, I can't go to a counselor because I don't have a reason to be depressed. Right. So, which was uh, a thing that was kind of, I don't know, felt like it was pushed on kind of some people. It's like, you can only be depressed if you have a reason to be depressed. You can only be sad yeah. if, you have a, if you have a reason to be sadder than I am. Yeah. So, it's a, Yes. I love that. Yeah. Someone at work just the other day, I, I was, it was a bad day for a number of reasons. And he just, <laughs> as well-meaning as it might have been... He just said, uh, oh, cheer up, man. I've been at rock bottom, and you're far from it. It doesn't really help. No, not even remotely. All that was 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 a way for you to, like, jerk yourself off in front of me and talk about how difficult (laughs) you've had it and how strong you are for overcoming it. Meanwhile, I feel like crap, and you saying that almost makes me feel worse because you make me think that I don't actually have a reason to feel it. So I should feel bad it's, uh, for feeling that way. Like if the opposite was true, you're, the, the, if it was true that you're not allowed to be sad because I've had more reasons to be sad than you, the opposite could be true where you're like, well, you're not allowed to be happy because I've had more reasons to be happy than you. So you're not allowed to be happy. Yeah. Well, that's dumb. You have to embrace stoicism to the extreme that's, and feel nothing for the rest of your life. Only, only the person who has the uh, most reasons to be happy yeah. can be happy. Everyone else yeah. Yeah. cannot yeah. feel sad. Or happy, they have to be emotionless. Yeah, it's 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 a, a stupid thing. So if you ever see someone and they're like, "Oh, I'm sad about the day because X, Y, and Z," you're like, oh. in your head, you might think that's not too bad of a reason. Like, oh, that like you really shouldn't be sad. Don't say that. Yeah. Like, hey, I don't fully understand exactly where this person's coming from. They're sad. Let's just deal with that fact that they're sad. Yeah. And like, hey, that or just even though like, no, you're right. That sucks. Yeah. You have a right to be sad. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter why they're sad. The fact is they're sad, and that's what matters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because the difference, so, like, say, hey, you know, my dog dies. That's 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 sad. It is. It is sad. And if someone's like, well, like, oh, I'm a little bummed today. Like, why? Oh, I broke my favorite mug. Don't be like, stupid. That's not a good reason to die. My dog died. Like, like oh, that does yeah. suck. Like, it's not a competition. Know, it's not like, a competition. Who's more sad? Who can, who's yeah. allowed to be more sad? Whose life's worse? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know, uh, part of, of what took me the longest time to finally accept that there was something wrong, that I had an issue, um, was for, for a while I didn't believe that mental illness was a thing. I thought so many people, there was like a fraction where it really was biological, where some, there wasn't a chemical in their brain, something was wrong. But a majority of the people that are claiming to be depressed or experiencing quote-unquote depression they are really just unhappy and they need to change that. And that perspective, oddly enough, just further exacerbated my own depression I was struggling with at the time because the depression didn't go away because I was saying I have no reason to be sad, so why am I? Clearly I'm doing something wrong. Clearly clearly, I don't have enough faith to overcome this because at the time that's really how I coped with it and, and addiction. I coped with it through faith and oddly enough I turned it on myself and said you're horrible because you actually don't have any reason for this and you're still doing it so you're just actually that horrible then only further <laughs> exacerbated it and it was it, progress only started and even then it took a long time but progress only began even a little when I finally said I do have an issue and it's real 
I didn't realize. So my depression when it was like got really, like when it could really be noticeable and probably had it for a long time before. But like I think it was like probably really started sometime freshman year of college. I didn't even realize I had depression until my junior year of college because it kept falling off. I was like, I can't have depression. I'm I have all this going for me. I'm going to a college for free. I have friends. I'm doing this. I'm doing right. this. I'm doing this. Right. Uh, ignoring the fact that I was sleeping, you know, three hours a night, had an insane amount of stress from engineering school, uh, had a bunch of other stuff going on. I was like, oh no, that, that's that's not good enough. And then I think junior year, I finally went, you know what? I think I'm depressed, and the and continued to not do anything about it. Unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. It- I remember there's actually a. Uh, because uh, unfortunately, our uh, the the president of our school, his son actually yeah. killed himself my junior year. Yeah. Uh, and they remember they had a huge suicide prevention thing, and everything was going on. And there was a, a a survey you took, and I was like, "Are you depressed?" Survey, and I went through it. And at this time, like I knew, I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm depressed or whatever." And was, the the question basically boiled down to, "Hey, you depressed?" I was like. This is stupid. <laughs> it was basically like, hey, are you feeling sad? Hey, are you sure you're feeling sad? Like, yeah. Yeah? You might be depressed. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Much, much needed. So, yeah. That was not handled very well, I feel like. Yeah, no, I agree. But in the midst of these... Uh, what I would call alarming uh, mental health rates, what I would call a crisis, really, of, of perspective, of, of mental illness, um, I, I will say, from a tangible point of view, and this is not to demean the way people are feeling, because we just said that we shouldn't do that, but from a measurable point of view, I think what might be having an effect on this is that we largely think the world is in really bad shape. And that's easy to do when every day on the news there's another bomb in the mail, another person's been shot, another horrible natural disaster or terrorist attack happens somewhere else in the world. I mean, every day there are horrible no, no. things that happen. It's it's gotten to the point, so I, I largely stay away from... Uh, kind of big news articles and headlines i kind of i kind of keep like a a a general idea of kind of what's going on but for the most part i just kind of stay with it one because like a tsunami or uh what was the recent one it was like a tsunami was somewhere i don't even remember where but like it was it was a terrible thing yeah it happened it was like oh that's terrible like i'm obviously it's a terrible thing but at the same time like there's me not knowing this is not there's like there's no benefit to me knowing this to not knowing this like it's it's far away so i think so I'm, i've been trying to do it's just more it's focused on everything that i can affect and that affects me yeah because there's only like yeah you can donate money you can do this but there's only so much i can do for you know uh, people who had a tsunami happen you know halfway across the world it's like it's knowledge it's you know it's terrible but yeah i can't there's there's very little i can do about that yeah very little except for donate maybe some money and like that's it. And so I've just tried to take a step back from like the giant news articles and everything and just focus on things that affect me and the things that I can affect. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that that's a pretty effective approach. I, I myself I'm still trying to figure out exactly what to do and what not to do. And I think um, one of my favorite 
intellectuals is um, is Steven Pinker, author and professor Steven Pinker. Um, very intelligent guy. His latest book is called Enlightenment Now, and it's a it's you can boil the book down to you know returning returning our values to the values during the Enlightenment. That's going to include classical liberalism and and humanism and uh, and that and those kind of progressive values. And one of the things he talks about, and I would say quite intelligently, is the way news is covered and the effects it has on us. So just this week, um, he gave an interview to a, it's called Radio Free Europe. It's essentially like a, a privately donation-funded European radio station. Kind of like NPR, I guess, maybe. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so during the interview, they were asking about something in his book, and, and the interviewer says, negative events attract attention. If it bleeds, it leads, they say. So what would your advice to the media be? And he says, It's not as if the mainstream media have a winning formula for retaining their popularity and commercial success. People have been abandoning traditional news sources, and it's one of the reasons they, one of the reasons they give is that it's too depressing, too negative. Now, of course, it's essential to report negative events. It would be irresponsible to fail to report dangers and suffering and injustice. On the other hand... If the news is systematically too negative, then it's giving people a distorted view of the world, which, in addition to making them needlessly depressed, leads to error and misunderstanding. There are studies that show that there are stories about positive change, and by that I don't mean feel-good stories like a good Samaritan or a cute puppy. I mean stories of successful programs, say to help the homeless, peace treaties in parts of the world that people don't pay attention to, like recently in Ethiopia, advances in democracy. So it may be that the media, even for their own survival, have to provide a more balanced view. I think it's an unexamined part of the ethics of journalism that serious journalism equals bad news. I think there's a lot of truth to that, and I, I, I think where Steven Pinker really gets it right is to say it is essential for us to report on negative events. It is essential for us to know about a mass shooting in Pittsburgh so that we know and are reminded that that kind of evil, that that anti-Semitism still exists, and we should be fighting it. We should be condemning it. However, on the other hand, there are good things in this world, and no... Not the cute puppy. <laughs> I hate those. Yeah, I, I mean, hate those news stories. So much. Local news. I mean, you'll see it on many like national news stories too. But like local news, I feel like are the worst. They'll talk about the cute little fluff story. Oh yeah, no, I remember. Uh, still remember. Uh, remind me one of the best. It wasn't even a news story. It was something my church back home did, where they did a. I don't exactly what it was. But it was basically like a, a dollar raised thing where. Instead of buying a coffee or whatnot, like you'd go and there's a box by the altar or whatnot, and you just put, you know, two, three dollars that you'd usually buy on a cup of coffee that day. And you know, you'd put it in the box and they used that money and they went to a family who their car had like just it was just gone. It broken down and uh, their dad, his main one of his main incomes was a snowplow. Like he was a personal snowplower, but there hadn't been a snow a lot of snow that year. Mm-hmm. And so what they did they went out and they bought a, a, a the family like a a used car, like a nice used car. And like a couple months of like gas money mm-hmm. with all the money that people have given them like 
not like a huge thing. It was one family, but it was just like, it, it was something good. And I was like, hey, like it wasn't big, but we helped this one family. Yeah. And it was a, it was a relatively small church. Like, yeah. So yeah. it wasn't like that. It was like, you know, maybe yeah. 200 people on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it was something. Yeah. And then they also have Sundays where uh, it was like once, once or twice a year they have a service Sunday. And they had this, the last time I was up there where they were handing out cards to anyone who was like a single parent, a uh, parent of adopted children, or a parent of special needs children. They'd come to the church and you'd get a free oil, oil change from the people at the church. Yeah. So it wasn't huge, but it was just like, it was something good that was happening. And it, it was just, it just felt good to like know like, there are good things that happen. Yeah. It's not all doom and gloom. Yeah. And I think those kind of human kindness stories are, are important because it not only is there the happy perspective of all oh, these people did something nice for someone, but it's also, it also reminds you that there are those people that are struggling and that you as part of a community can help make a difference. So I would absolutely say that those are valuable. Certainly more valuable than as much as I love dogs than a, a, a puppy story or the, the water skiing squirrel. I hate that. <laughs> I hate those stories so much. No, no, absolutely not. No, no there no, is, no. there. I mean, I, I can't imagine an argument where that makes good news. If you have one, go ahead and send it to me. But I can't imagine it. And what, what's worse is while those, this, the human kindness stories exist, there isn't as much attention drawn to the fact that, uh, on average, actually, gun violence is down since the, especially since the eighties, um, and the literacy rates all around the world are higher. Infant mortality low as ever. Poverty rates low as ever. All of these are good things that show human progress, but they're not news because yeah. it doesn't happen it's not it's not a shooting that happens one night it's not a one-time thing it's something that you measure over the course of decades and that doesn't make a news story because news is usually about what's happening right now no, or something that has been happening in the last few weeks you know if i were to go to the news and just kind of base what i thought about humanity every now tonight's news I'd say we're about to hit the dark ages again. That oh, yeah. the economy was about to collapse. All the, the all the countries were going to go to war, and everyone was going to die, and the earth, the sun was going to explode in the next week. Well, it's funny you say that. Just this morning, the Washington Post. If you if you looked at their headlines, everything was Pittsburgh shooting, bombs in the mail, and and that was it. And you would think if if all of this stuff, if that was all that was going on. There would be travel advisories all around the world saying, don't go to America because it's too dangerous. Uh, yeah. But, the, and now while, yes, those things are serious and need to be talked about and reported on, there's more going on, both here and all over the world. There's more to it. And that's not to say, again, that something like the shooting in Pittsburgh shouldn't be on the front page. It probably should. It was horrible and needs to be talked about. But there's there's always more to it. There's, like, from all, because I remember... It was last year. There was like a bunch of like uh, reports, you know, from France or Germany, like terrorism and like uh, shootings, and like a bunch of other stuff. And then my head was like, "Man, Europe's getting kind of violent. I don't think I want to go there more." And now I'm just like, "Those are very isolated events." And I would go to Europe. I would be 99% sure I'd be yeah. pretty much safe. I don't really have anything. I have two friends yeah. in Europe right now. I'm like, I don't, I'm not worried about them because yeah. those are those are isolated events. It's like 
It's like if you judged Europe, if the only thing you had to judge Europe off of was the movie Taken. Like, oh my god, I'm not going to Europe. I'm going to get kidnapped. No, like, those are oh, very great movie. Yes. The first one. The other ones, let's yeah. forget them. It, it just went downhill. First one yeah. great, second one's okay, third, third one's horrible. I think there's a fourth one. I don't know. What? There's a big no, TV that's not right. No, yes. Uh, I had no. stayed away from it. But no, if you haven't seen the first Taken, it's actually a really good movie. It is I good. highly recommend it. It's yeah. quite the thriller. It is very good. Very impressive. Liam Neeson's fantastic in it. Yeah. Uh, but if that's all that, that's, that's basically the news, trying to watch the news and judge a place off that is basically trying to watch Taken and judge Europe off the movie Taken. Yeah. And if you were to do that, you say, oh my gosh, Europe's a horrible place. Everyone's corrupt and there's just thievery and prostitution and just kidnapping. Human everywhere. trafficking oh all over. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you never go. When in all reality, that's like 0.1%. Yeah. Very. Or like, it's a, I don't know the exact number, but it's you're like the likelihood of that actually happening is very low. Yeah. Uh, and you're Millions making, of people travel through yeah. Paris and go through De Gaulle's airport every year. You'll be fine. Yeah. Saudi Arabia and Iraq, on the other hand... A little different. A little different. Probably would rec- not recommend going Yeah, there. neither would the State Department. Not, <laughs> a whole good, not, not a whole lot of good news comes out of there. Yeah. Because there's not a whole lot of good news, I think, coming out of yeah. there. Except women driving. Hey! That, that was true. That was a very... Imp- what? But you know what's not being covered? And this is a, a bad thing, but there, there were a number of the advocates that in Saudi Arabia that were advocating for women driving, a number of those women have disappeared. Did you know that? I did not know No, that. I don't think most people have. No, I had no idea that. Just, but a I'm lot, not surprised. A lot of those, not, I, don't, I, would, I don't know enough about it to say a lot, but a number have just disappeared. Not left, not aren't in the public view anymore. Like, they're, they've disappeared. This is a country that just murdered a journalist in in Turkey a couple weeks ago. Don't put it past them to start killing women and kidnapping them and burying their bodies in the effing desert. Like doesn't surprise me. Yeah, no, it shouldn't. But don't go there. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We're gonna transition to something. Dylan and I, I feel like this. I feel like it should be like a best of the week thing thing because it's kind of hilarious. But you know, it's not either. I'll just let him take it from here. We've been going long enough. This can just be my best of the week. Yeah. Sure. So. There was a, a video that was posted recently. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to hear about this. So <laughs> it, it happened back in 2014. Okay, but it's it's been a, it's been a long, okay. long time. So I think it's going right. to be my my that's that's fine. Best slash last of the week, and it's a video of a guy. And uh, so there's a house on the on fire. There's fire trucks everywhere, and they're trying to put the fire out. And a news team is interviewing a guy who's like there. He's in the neighborhood. And like, what's going on? He's a and he just just very calmly says. Oh no, I set that fire. I'm like, what do you mean you set that fire? He's like, well, I went in, poured some gasoline on the floor, lit it, walked out, got a drink, and came back. Just absurd. And they're like, all right. Wow. And then they filmed him walking over to two police officers standing there. And he just he just looks one piece of and goes, points to the building, and goes, I set that. The police <laughs> officer looks at his partner, looks back at the guy, and goes, You set that? He goes, Yeah, it was me. And then it just cuts with him, them just leading him away in handcuffs. Oh my god. So I'll, I'll play the clip for you real quick. Me, me, I set it on fire. It was an unsolicited street-side confession. This man, who would only say his name was Carlos, approached ABC7 News photographer Jeff Rose, admitting he set this home on fire. I just poured gasoline on the floor, set it on fire and went to buy a drink and came back. 
Just look at their faces, absolutely stunned to hear a man claim to be an arsonist. Despite his candor and sincerity, officers handcuffed Carlos and walked him to a squad car. Charges are pending. Easiest, easiest case those police officers have ever had in their entire life. Yeah. Show up to a burning building and the guy goes, no, that was me, I did it. <laughs> Arrest me. So, uh, so, so apparently, sorry. his name is Carlos. Uh, he just, he apparently described what he would call deplorable living conditions, and he had filed with the police and with the landlord about how it's it's a terrible living environment. And he said they, they just ignored him, so he set the house on fire in order to bring attention to the awful living conditions. Right. Uh, he was arrested for arson, and I think three accounts of in, uh, endangering life. I'm not sure how it all, how it all fanned out, but it's just the the video was just it's very yeah. it just it was a very interesting way to tackle that well so he said apparently he had complained but no one had listened to him or taken him seriously so he set the building on fire communists rejoice because you know he showed that landlord yeah uh, <laughs> everyone else that was living there definitely probably not the best way to go about filing a complaint with your landlord yeah just setting the building on fire probably not very constructive well, uh, well, you'll do. You can do your worst. My worst was Pittsburgh shooting. We talked about it. We're gonna move on. You'll do your worst, and I'm gonna end on a happy note with my best. Okay, uh, my worst is uh, a video. It's very short. Where you see these two two little boys. One of them has a baseball bat. The other one is sitting in a chair, and he puts an apple oh, uh, no. on his head. And it doesn't quite go the way you think it would. Um, I'm gonna play it for Dylan real quick. And we're gonna just see his reaction real quick. Oh, <laughs> so much. <laughs> you think he's gonna take a swing at the apple, try to hit it, you know, and he'll end up clubbing his brother in the back of the head. No. He just tries to hit the apple on his head. So he does a full down swing with an aluminum bat <laughs> on his brother's head. And thankfully it hard cuts after his brother kind of starts to fall over. Probably some stitches involved. What an absurd... <laughs> oh my god. It's like, having a brother, I can imagine how this went. Because uh, I can almost see me doing it to my little brother when I was younger. Oh, God. Little bro- where the older brother goes, hey, sit down. I'm going to hit this apple off your head. And the little brother goes, that sounds really cool. Sits down, puts the apple in the head. Big brother goes, I'm kidding. Goes, wham, just hits him in the head. Oh, my God. With the baseball bat, thinking it'll smash the apple and look really cool. Uh, he yeah. was probably in a serious amount of trouble with his parents after that. So I would that, hope so. I would, that's I would not- really hope so, because that's yeah. some stitches. That's right not there, okay. Some brain damage. So that's my worst of the week. All right. Well, yeah, like like I said, we're ending with the good. And what better good than a quote from Mr. Rogers? Oh, Mr. Rogers. So given what happened in Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh, uh, where that mosque is, Mr. Rogers actually lived about three blocks away from that. He His house was about three blocks away. And like I said, the event itself was horrible. What what led that man to commit that horrible act of violence is horrible. But this quote from Mr. Rogers reminds me that things aren't as bad as they might seem. And that quote, I'm sure you might have heard it. When I was a boy, I would see scary things in the news. My mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And 
I can say about Pittsburgh, it's it's an incredible community. It it never lost its blue collar roots. It's still a very kind place to live. And as soon as that shooting happened, there were two hour lines to donate blood. There were Carnegie Mellon students doing street gigs, collecting money to then donate to uh, the synagogue. There's a GoFundMe, and this isn't just with Pittsburgh, but all around the world, there's a GoFundMe page. Its original goal was $200,000. They met it within a number of hours. The current goal is a million. I don't know if they hit it yet, but all that money is going to go to the synagogue and to the families. And the number of people of all religions and backgrounds all around the world offering their condolences. There are a lot of helpers out there, and yes, what this guy did was horrible, but he won't destroy the love and the values that bind together those helpers. And there's always more helpers than there are those people that commit these kinds of acts of violence. And so that is where we'll end it this week. I'm Dylan Shoup. I'm Dylan Kiefer. And we'll see you next time. Carpe Noctum is a production by Amateurs, hosted by Dylan Shoup and Dylan Kiefer. Quick thanks to bensound.com for our theme music. Join us again next time.